0: Every single one of you would not be where you are today were it not for the role of a few key people in your life. And you will not go where God wants you to go without the role of at least a few key people in your future. So I'll put it like this. Christianity is a team sport. Your discipleship, your spiritual formation is a team sport, Your effectiveness in reaching this city for Christ and even just serving this city with the shalom of Christ is a team sport. Now, today, as we come to these last few verses of Colossians 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 7, I acknowledge that as a kid, when I was reading through the Bible a number of different times, and I liked the Pauline letters, there was lots of practical stuff in there, and I would come to verses like this, and I would just think of them as throwaway verses. Like, there's, there's really no theology here. There's nothing for me to apply to my life, and that's how we tend to read the Bible as American Christians, right? Right? What is here that's relevant to me? And I would read these verses, and it'd be kind of like, hey, say hi to mom, tell her thanks for the goodie bag, and uh, peace, we'll see you on the flip side, you know? And it just kind of reads like that. But as I've gotten older, I realize that Paul is recognizing, he is affirming, he's thanking a whole bunch of otherwise anonymous people people that we would never know their names. And what he's saying in these, closing letter, in these closing verses is, my ministry doesn't happen without the prayers and the support and the sacrifice and the encouragement of all these other people. That even if they think of themselves as the smallest cog in the wheel of the engine that drives ministry in the ancient world, they are that important piece, So I want to look at this closing with you and note five things I think that God is showing us here about the critical importance of gospel partnerships, of teamwork in life and in ministry. So Colossians 4, 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Anesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. all right, we're back to alliteration this morning. Some of you were panicked that we took a couple weeks off from that. So I think this this text shows us five things about gospel partnerships, the architect, the ambition, the atmosphere, the allies, and the adhesive of gospel partnerships. And you'll see each of these in the text that we'll go back to. So number one, I say the architect of our partnerships, the architect of our gospel partnerships is God. Now we're Americans, You know, we're we're Western progressive American. We live in Denver, you know? And so we think of ourselves by default as self-made men and women. Like I've worked hard. I've made sacrifices. I've done things that other people were not willing to do and that's why I got where I am. And look, I don't wanna take anything away from you. I know most of you. I know most of you who are joining online right now and you have worked hard. You have made tremendous sacrifices. You have stood for things and fought for things that you believe in. You've taken risks that other people have not taken and you've made the most of opportunities that have been given to you. But the fact of the matter is you have no control over probably 99% of the things that are truly determinative in your life. And the reality is if you had been born into a different family, in a different country, in a different century. Okay, just those three simple things. You would probably work just as hard and take the same kinds of risk as you take right now, and you would get absolutely nowhere with all of that sacrifice, with all of that hard work, with all of that risk. And I'm simply pointing out, as Paul does here, that you are where you are, first of all, because God is the architect of your life, and he has designed certain things. I'm looking back at this text and you read, you know, a number of different names, but not a ton. And it just reminds me that today, with seven and a half billion people in the world, you will only have truly meaningful, life-changing interactions or intersections with maybe a few dozen, maybe a hundred For some of you who are really socially gregarious, you may have that. And I'm not talking about friends or let alone like social media friends. I mean, real transformative life interactions, probably with a few dozen people. And what Paul understands here is God is the author of your life. He's the architect of those intersections in your life. In a word, I'm kind of talking about this thing we call providence, which is like the invisible hand of God that designs and orchestrates the affairs of even the most powerful and successful and wealthy and beautiful people, let alone the rest of us, right? And and Paul seems acutely aware of this providence. Verse seven, he says, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Verse 12, and he says this about a couple different people. We are fellow servants, faithful servants or slaves in Lord. Christ Jesus or of Christ Jesus. Verse 12, he says, we are pursuing together the will of God. In other words, he's designed something. He's mapped something out for us. We have received, verse 17, the ministry in the Lord. So as you look at the details of your lives, some of which are very painful, some of which are very ambiguous, just like, what was that about? You have those things where you're like, I'm sure God is showing me something, developing some kind of character, but I can't even get to the bottom of it. I don't know what that's about. What Paul's calling all of these other Christians and then a church at Colossae, and then as this letter circulated to other places, he's trying to remind believers, there's a designer of all of this stuff. There's a designer of all these relationships. And, And my first question for you by way of application is simply, if you were just to remember intentionally God is the designer, he's the architect of the relationships that I'm in right now. And I know most of you are home, but as you look around to the circle of friends, church friends, um, co-workers, family members, neighbors, how would it transform the way that you interact with these relationships on an everyday basis if you simply remembered, I'm in this relationship on purpose, Because God is up to something. Okay, what is he up to? And this kind of leads us to the second point. Well, we start thinking about if God has purposes for the relationships, let alone the partnerships in my life, what are we trying to accomplish with one another, and what are we trying to accomplish in one another? In other words, what are we trying to do together that's outside of us? It's like two friends, like sitting there side by side you know, watching a game or a movie or something together, and they don't have to interact that whole time. But then you have those moments where you turn and you're face to face and you're engaged with each other, and there are those two kinds of things that we're doing in our relationship. And the first thing I want you to note there is that Paul in verse 11 says, We are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So what are we trying to do together? If we are fellow workers for the kingdom of God, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to serve King Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. If we're laboring not for our own agendas or not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for the king, what he's saying is we're trying to see the authority of King Jesus, the priorities of King Jesus, the purposes, the design of King Jesus. We're trying to see that advanced in Denver as it is in heaven. Now, as we... Do that, and we're working together for that common cause, now what are we doing in each other's lives? And it's interesting to me, if I were to go back and read this or just point you back to it, that over and over, as Paul mentions these different names in the text, several different names, specific people, he says over and over again, these people are supporting me, they're equipping me, they're comforting me, they're encouraging me, and I'm doing the same for you. So he's saying whether in prayer, as some of them were doing, or in person, we are helping each other become the kind of children and men and women that God intends for us to be. He refers to a growth and maturity here. So your second point is the ambition of our partnerships. And the ambition of gospel partnerships is to provide support and encouragement to each other in the work of the kingdom of God. And I think that work of the kingdom of God is well summarized by our church mission statement where we say, what is our mission? What is our purpose? Why do we exist? Well, it is to make and mature disciples or followers of Jesus, okay? The, the making of disciples refers to the breadth of the kingdom. We want to grow the kingdom this way and see new and additional people come into relationship with King Jesus, come under his authority and benefit from his care in their lives, that's the breadth of ministry. But we also want to see people grow in depth, in, in spiritual maturity. And that's like this prayer that's mentioned here where he's like, I, I'm just praying for you over and over again that you would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. But again, you see just a, a constant demeanor, constant words of support, of encouragement. And is this your, your ambition? What I just said, ambition together, advancing the kingdom of God by supporting and encouraging each other. Is that your ambition? Or if I took a step back from, is that your ambition? Hey, what is your ambition? This past week, an ambition is like, I desire this so much, I'm willing to go after it. I'm willing to make sacrifices for it. I'm willing to let other things go so that I have this. Well, what is this? What is your ambition? You know, if we step outside these doors in the middle of downtown Denver, we see that the ambition of a lot of people is just simply realizing, hey, my academic and my vocational career is taking up the vast majority of my life, so what's my ambition? What is the ambition of our peers? Get a good job so I can make enough money to enjoy the kind of lifestyle that I want to enjoy, get a reputation for myself? What is our ambition, even with the closest relationships in our lives, like best friends or even a marriage? Very often, it's not, how can I invest in you? How can I pour into encouraging you? Even marriage is more like, I want to feel good about myself. And you're a person that right now, you make me feel good about myself. Right now, you're pretty good at affirming me because we still like each other. And if that stops and you're not giving me the kind of confidence and appreciation that I want, at best we'll have friction and maybe we'll just go our separate ways. That's people's ambition in our culture. But instead of living to get affirmation, to get encouragement, to get a certain feeling, What you hear Paul saying here a bunch of different ways is Christians live to offer that kind of encouragement. To advance the kingdom, we are encouraging, equipping, supporting, affirming, thanking one another, and this kind of conversation is constantly on our lips. And to the degree that you're separated from other people and you can't do that right now, then it ought to come from our fingertips, sending encouraging texts, as I received another one yesterday from someone in the church who's super gracious. Let me just illustrate this. Um, what should be the ambition of every professional athlete? What should be their ambition? Well, if you play baseball, your ambition should be to win the World Series. Yeah. If you play football, your ambition should be to win the Super Bowl. If you play hockey, your ambition should be to win the Stanley Cup. But it is clear, is it not, that a lot of professional athletes, that is probably not their main ambition. Their main ambition is something like this. I want money and fame and the lifestyle that goes along with it. Well, where do you see that? Well, you see that in like a diva wide receiver that's like, I had 10 catches for 140 yards. We got blown out but I did my dance in the end zone, you saw it's, I love me some me, right? And you see that all the time in sports where it's like your team's getting killed and you're not being a good teammate, but you're like, but I I, I shot it. I shot the ball again. I made another save. And it's like, yeah, but you're losing seven, nothing in the, in the Stanley Cup finals. But on the flip side, you do have a lot of athletes like that running back who just gets blown up by the blitzing linebacker and he's like, I'm not letting you hit my quarterback. Or those big old guys in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line that are just in a fist fight. They're in a brawl every single snap just to try to establish the line of scrimmage. We're gonna beat you there, right? It's role players who come in for maybe just a play or two in the entire game because they have a special skill that's needed. And they gladly do that little thing that they do, and they do it over and over and over again, or they do it once. Why? Because their eye is on the ultimate prize. Okay, around here, we're familiar with Peyton Manning, if you've been here any length of time, right? So in in 2013, Peyton Manning set a record, which is probably gonna be hard to beat, and that is he, he threw 55 touchdown passes in one season, one regular season, 55, against 10 interceptions, Record-breaking year for Peyton Manning. Two years later, 2015, he threw nine touchdowns against 17 interceptions. But which year did they win the Super Bowl? The year where Peyton's breaking every record or the year where, frankly, they just had a better team where he didn't have to be great, he just had to be good? And by the way, he was injured that season, and other people came in and started a number of games and kept the ship afloat so they could get to the ultimate prize of winning a Super Bowl. And look, if we're willing to do this kind of thing for a trophy, for a ring that says the year and world champion or whatever, how much more should we have this ambition for Jesus Christ, King Jesus? To say, I'm willing just to do my role, my thing, because my ambition is to forward the kingdom of God however I can by supporting and encouraging the people around me, just doing my thing, but also saying, hey, thank you for doing your thing. All those of you who are watching the live stream, you know, send send a note to Kieran or something and be like, hey, you, you keep this thing going all summer long when everything's off the rails in the rest of our lives. We get to tune in and worship together and at least gather online. You know, some different people that are behind the scenes and they're not doing everything. They're not up here on stage, but but there are a number of different ones of you like that where, because you just said, look, I just want to serve the kingdom of God however I can. And Frankly, you know, our music doesn't go out there. And like this message, all the work that goes into a sermon doesn't get out there if someone else doesn't do their thing. Do you see what I'm saying? Where the, the kingdom is built because several different people in partnership with one another are each doing their thing for both breadth of ministry and depth of ministry. And that brings us to this. Number three, the atmosphere. So it's not a matter of just getting together and you do your thing and I do my thing. Because what I'm describing here doesn't happen unless people actually care about each other. You've probably been on teams where people are like, well, I'll do my role. And you realize there's there's friction there. Like, I couldn't care less about you. You couldn't care less about me. But we're kind of making it work to strive for this goal together. That's not the atmosphere of Christian ministry. The atmosphere of our partnerships, Paul says here, is grateful love. Not transactional relationships like, again, the world, the city functions on transactional relationships, right? Like you come into a job and you're like, look, I'll, I'll do my job. I'll work hard for you so long as I get good fair pay, maybe above average because I think I'm above average Some career advancement opportunity, good benefits, some flex time, you you give me that and I'll probably stick around. And the boss is thinking, well, fine, we'll keep you employed so long as you continue to enhance our bottom line. And it's transactional. And even marriage partnerships are this way where it's just transactional. Like I'm marrying you right now because you make me feel good about myself, but I'm keeping my options open in case something better comes along. And that's how people live their marriages. But, but Paul, what, what he emanates here is just like oozing from every line of this closing is stuff like this. He's like, this guy over here, he is my beloved brother in Christ. This sister over here, she's running a church in her house. These friends over here, like this letter would not get to you if it were not for these people willing to come into the prison with me and let me hand it off to them. And by the way, there's stuff I can't put in writing in case this guy gets stopped. So he's going to tell you the backstory. He's going to tell you what's really going down here. And we just love each other. And I'm sending these people and greet him and welcome her and help one another. It's just like in every line. He's like, I love these people and I'm sure you're gonna love them too. You ever have that where you have like, you have a friend over here and you have a friend over here and you realize like for the first time, maybe through you, they're gonna get to meet each other and you're like, oh, you're gonna love this person. How do you know that? Because I love them and I love them and I know both of you and it's just gonna be great, okay? That's his attitude. That's his atmosphere. It's just this genuine affection. And my question is, do you feel that toward Christian community? I'm not asking, like, do you show up here or are you faithful to be like, hey, it's 9.55, let's turn on the Apple TV, let's get it cranked up, let's watch the service online. It's great to gather, to participate however you can, but I'm saying, do you actually look around and say, I love these people, I'm grateful for these people, I'm so thankful that God put you in my life. Do you feel that way? Or do you feel more like some of the people I've talked to in this pandemic? Thankfully it's only a few people, but it doesn't feel good to be the pastor of a person that you're like, "Hey, where are you? How you doing?" And they're like, "You know what I realized? Being away from the church for 6 months, I don't miss anybody. I kind of like having my Sundays back." What's ironic to me here is Paul, the apostle Paul, like we today, we often perceive, you know, he's an academic He's an intellectual. He's a philosopher. He could argue, you know, in Athens and in Corinth and places like that. And we just, we perceive him maybe as this guy who's all head, just so smart. And the irony is he can't get through a line of his closing letter without hearing this deep affection and gratitude and joy for other people. He's not just an intellectual. He's a very intelligent guy but he's not all head and no heart. The atmosphere of our partnerships is grateful love. Number four, the allies. Who are we working with? Well, I think Paul shows us here the allies of our partnerships, our gospel partnerships are all who follow Jesus. Now this probably doesn't leap off the page when you read these closing verses on your own, but the church, the ancient church, was an incredibly diverse group of people whose only common bond was their shared love for Jesus Christ and the gospel. Let me show you a couple examples, okay? Verse 11, Paul specifically references the fact that three men, and he lists their names, he said, these are, of all my ministry partners, these are the only three people that are, and he says, of the circumcision party. In other words, they were formerly followers of Judaism. So what that means is I've got these followers of Judaism who believe in the literal cutting of the flesh to bring you in right relationship with God, but now they've been saved by Jesus and they're my partners. But most of the rest of my partners are Gentiles. So you've got Jew and Gentile working together. There's an obvious reference here to several men, but Paul also mentions this woman, Nympha, who hosted a church in her house. And she joins Prisca, Mary, Phoebe, Lydia, and several other women specifically named by Paul saying, my ministry does not happen. And the ministry of Jesus in the ancient world does not happen the way it did without the active participation of these women. Then we've got this guy, Onesimus, in verse nine, whom he calls our faithful and beloved brother. And you'd just be like, oh, cool, Onesimus. Like, is he mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? Yes, Because many commentators believe that the partner letter to this one, Colossians, that when some of these guys are going back with this letter, they have a second letter. And the second letter is what we think of as the book of Philemon. You know this story? Philemon is a slave owner. His slave's name is Onesimus. This Onesimus that Paul's talking about saying... He is our faithful and beloved brother. And he says, he's one of you. And they're like, well, yeah, we know he's one of us, but he's not because he's a runaway slave. Finally, Paul calls out Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and says, if he comes to you, welcome him. If you know the book of Acts, this is the same John Mark that doesn't make it through the first missionary journey of Paul. He's like, sweet, free ticket out of Jerusalem. I get to go on this missionary journey with my uncle and this other guy who's, I guess, famous now. So he starts traveling and he just doesn't cut it. He quits on the ministry and he's like, I need to go home to mommy. It's in Acts. I need to go home to mom. And Paul's like, I don't want anything to do with this quitter. Well, now a decade or so later, Paul is no longer upset, so upset that he says, Barnabas, he's not coming on the next missionary journey. He's a quitter. He's lazy. He's a mama's boy, whatever. But now Mark is back serving Christ and partnering with Paul in ministry. I I share those four or five specific examples just to say this. Our culture has always been divided by race, ethnicity, class, status, gender. All these different ways we split up people and say, these are my people, rich, poor, successes, failures, on and on it goes. And Paul's saying, the Christian church, the kingdom of God has none of that. Does you know who our allies are in this ministry? Do you know who's with us? Do you know who our teammates are? It's anyone who wants to follow Jesus in faith. Rich or poor, slave or free. And he's saying, gospel partnerships do not look like the opportunistic, homogenized partnerships that this present world has, they should be shockingly diverse. You know, going back to the sports analogy, you probably actually have a more effective football team, for example, if you don't all look alike, because you need the little speedster back there who's going to field the punt and then take off and try to outrun people. You need a lot of beef on the, you know, the line of scrimmage to push people around. You don't want the punt returner blocking for the quarterback. And you don't want the 350-pound guy returning punts, right? Right? So diversity actually helps you partner together in complementary ways. And Paul is saying, invite and welcome all of these people. By the way, this is a major driver in our vision for this corner of downtown Denver. But listen, this is why, in large part, we are here and made the intentional, deliberate choice to be here Because within just a few blocks, we have the richest of the rich. We have CEOs, company owners, entrepreneurs, artists, but we also have many of the homeless, people who literally don't have the funds to go put a roof over their own head or to put food on their own table, healthcare. We have majority culture here and we have a lot of minority culture right outside these doors, including a very large immigrant population. We have Democrats and like at least three Republicans in this area, okay? So some diversity. We have young, old, we have everything in between. We want to be here and shine a light on this corner into the the darkness, the brokenness, and just say this church, this gospel, this hope, this community is for anyone and everyone who wants to follow this Jesus. And like Paul, we have to be intentional. Let's go make those relationships. Don't wait. Don't sit back and be like, well, if they really want to be a part of my thing, they can come find us. Let's go get them the way Jesus sought sheep, okay? So how are you doing that? How are you seeking partnerships with allies who want to pursue Christ and serve the city together? Jew and Gentile, man and woman, slave and free, quitters. Like John Mark, welcomed back. And if you're sitting here thinking, like, well, how do I how do I do that? I understand how we build partnerships with people who are very similar to us, have similar tastes, similar perspectives, similar voting track record, similar, you know. Culturally, there are things that are important to us. We can share all that. But, but how am I supposed to do ministry and partnership with people who are really different, who come from a different background, who think differently than me, who process politics and culture and even church differently, who are looking for like a different style of music or, or whatever, people who, who don't honor some of my sacred cows. Or you know, worse yet, like Paul, how do I do ministry? How do I do partnership with people who have really hurt me? And I mean, either as a specific person that you would say, John Mark hurt me. Why would I do partnership with him? Or how could I do partnership with him? Or it may even be a category or a type of people. Like, I don't like any people like this because I've been so hurt by them. And I think this is why Paul's closing words are grace be with you. So the final thing here is the adhesive, the glue that holds our partnerships together is the grace of God. The grace of God. How are you going to love Jesus and the mission of spreading good news about his kingdom more than you hate and dislike and wanna be away from the people that you hate and dislike and wanna be away from, especially if they've hurt you? How are you gonna do that? Well, Paul is saying, grace be with you all. Done, hard stop. Why? Because he, as, this, as this letter was read publicly in the church and everyone's hearing it for the first time at the same time, he wants each individual person to sit there and say, I remember the grace of Jesus to me. I was dead in my sins. I was a slave to sin. I had no hope and no God in this world. But Jesus Jesus obeyed where I disobeyed. Jesus was faithful where I was faithless or unfaithful. And I I believe him and I believe that because I believe him, that he's reconciled me to God and my track record doesn't follow me around everywhere like this backpack of guilt and shame, it's gone. And I am free and I am forgiven and I am empowered by the spirit and it's all a free gift of God's grace and if I remember that then who else can I look at and say yeah but you don't get grace from me he's saying if grace is transformative in your own heart and mind and life then the way you look at other people who are different than you or who have hurt you or who have quit on you is very different than just the transactional nature of relationships in the world Let me just conclude with this. Eugene Peterson, who passed recently, defined discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. Basically, spiritual formation, your whole Christian life is what? A long obedience in the same direction. And friends, that long obedience in the same direction with all the pitfalls and the challenges and the failures that we all experience It is challenging, it is hard, it is disappointing sometimes, it is discouraging sometimes. But here's Paul's thing, you don't have to walk alone. It is a long obedience in the same direction but you never have to walk alone. In fact, you should not walk alone. You are intended to walk with these other partners. And I'm talking now more directly to those of you who are gathered at home. And especially if that is your pattern, um, for various reasons that we support, you may have to fight harder and say, I got to be creative about this. How am I partnering with other believers so that my long walk of obedience in the same direction has partners and teammates and people who are going to help me when I fall down and say, no, 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 get back up. Let's go. You're fine. God forgives you. Let's go. And, and, and you're doing the same in their lives. And again, maybe some of that transitions to more texts, more phone calls, more FaceTime. I don't care. Be creative, but we got to do this. If you got a fire And you just picture yourself as one of those little embers in there, and it's glowing red hot. If you take that one ember and you just kick it out onto the stone by itself, that bright orange will start to get darker and darker and darker. It'll turn black, and it'll be out. But you start bringing that ember back in where the fire is glowing, where the passion is there, the excitement, the joy in Jesus is there. And picks back up again. We need each other that way. Christianity is a team sport. We pursue the ultimate prize of the kingdom of God together by caring more about our role and encouragement and support and equipping others than we care about being the star of the show. And what comforts, what preferences of yours would you be willing to sacrifice to give up if it meant Partnerships like what Paul got to enjoy, even when he was in prison, where it's like, I'm, I'm still so joyful to know you, to see what you're doing over here for God and she's doing this over here for Jesus. And man, it's exciting to see what God is doing all these places. Thank you, Lord, for these gospel partnerships. Let's go.